0: This show is made possible entirely by the support of the listeners. Find out what you can do in the support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Countdown, The Bugle, The Political Scene, The Rachel Maddow Show, Media Matters, On the Media, Counterspin, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and The Progressive.
1: The first hand that President Obama shook this morning after signing the health care reform bill into law was that of Marcellus Owens, an 11-year-old boy who in recent weeks has become a national advocate for reform in memory of his mother Tiffany. She lost her life to a treatable illness because she did not have insurance and could not afford the basic care that she needed. Today, the fifth grader, Marcellus, wearing a tie matching the president's, said, It's tough not having my mom around, but she's been with me in spirit every time I talk. I hope I've made her proud. Marcellus was standing at the president's side when he put pen to paper. Make that pens plural, 22 of them, each of them an invaluable gift the president traditionally gives to the luckiest and most powerful dignitaries in the room. With his signature, President Obama made what once seemed
2: impossible the law of the land. Today, after almost a century of trying, today, after over a year of debate, Today, after all the votes have been tallied, health insurance reform becomes law in the United States of America.
1: Earlier in the proceedings, Vice President Biden, still not accustomed to standing near open microphones, after he introduced the President Biden, apparently let a very strong word slip into his feelings about the moment. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States of America, Barack
3: Obama.
1: No bleeping necessary from there on out. Nearly every president since Teddy Roosevelt has tried to enact health care reform of some kind. The 44th president of the United States
2: thanked all of them, plus Teddy Kennedy. I'm signing this bill for all the leaders who took up this cause through the generations, from Teddy Roosevelt to Franklin Roosevelt, from Harry Truman to Lyndon Johnson, from Bill and Hillary Clinton to one of the deans uh, who's been fighting this so long, John Dingell, to Senator Ted Kennedy. And it's fitting that Ted's widow, Vicky, is here. I remember seeing Ted walk through that door in a summit in this room a year ago, one of his last public appearances, and it was hard for him to make it. But he was confident that we would do the right thing.
1: When it came time to talk about the legislation, the president said health care reform would soon speak for itself.
2: In a few moments when I sign this bill, all of the overheated rhetoric over reform will finally confront the reality of reform. This year, tens of thousands of uninsured Americans with pre-existing conditions, the parents of children who have a pre-existing condition, will finally be able to purchase the coverage they need. That happens this year. This year insurance companies will no longer be able to drop people's coverage when they get sick. They won't be able to place lifetime limits or restrictive annual limits on the amount of care they can receive. This year This year all new insurance plans will be required to offer free preventive care, and this year young adults will be able to stay on their parents' policies until they're 26 years old. That happens this year. President Obama
1: talked about the many who had doubted that this day would ever come.
2: Our presence here today is remarkable and improbable. With all the punditry, all of the lobbying, all of the game-playing that passes for governing in Washington, it's been easy at times to doubt our ability to do such a big thing, such a complicated thing to wonder if there are limits to what we as a people can still achieve. It's easy to succumb to the sense of cynicism about what's possible in this country. But today we are affirming that essential truth, a truth every generation is called to rediscover for itself. That we are not a nation that scales back its aspirations. We are not a nation that falls prey to doubt or mistrust We don't fall prey to fear. We are not a nation that does what's easy. That's not who we are. That's not how we got here. The president concluded by
1: saying health care reform isn't about doing what's easy. It's about doing what's right.
2: We are a nation that does what is hard, what is necessary, what is right. Here in this country, we shape our own destiny. That is what we do. That is who we are. That is what makes us the United States of America. And we have now just enshrined, as soon as I signed this bill, the core principle that everybody should have some basic security when it comes to their health care. Yeah. Yeah. And it is an extraordinary achievement that has happened because of all of you and all the advocates all across the country. So, thank you.
4: about the National Youth Theatre. Yeah, I think so.
5: Well, Andy, they said it couldn't be done. Some said it shouldn't be done. Others said it had to be done. Many said it wouldn't be done. And some are still saying it might not yet definitely be done. But last week, President Obama signed a new healthcare bill into American law. And, Andy, it's hard to put into words the magnitude of this bill passing. There's no one single phrase which encompasses the gravity of this development. Oh, hold on, hold on. No, it's very easy, because it's already been expressed with elegant perfection by Vice President Joe Biden, a man who so often has the appropriate bon mot, (laughs) when necessary on occasion, who said to Obama moments before he signed the historic bill, in front of TV cameras, and clearly picked up by the microphones, he said, and I quote, this is a (laughs) big deal. (laughs) And you know what, Andy? He's right. It is a big deal. Deal. Even if, in trying to sell it to a nervous American public, the whole idea was to pretend it was not quite as big a <laughs> deal as it clearly <laughs> is. The point is, though, he's fucking right. It's fucking huge. It's as big as it is. Unsurprising that something like that came out of his. Mouth.
4: <laughs> so Joe Biden dropped the F bomb. Would you say this is as momentous as when uh, Harry Truman dropped the A bomb?
5: Yeah, more so, right. more so, Andy, will, will, Yeah, much
4: more so. Will the fallout be as devastating?
5: Are you, well, it depends. Are you, are you referring to the time that uh, Harry
4: Truman called someone an ass munch? <laughs> no, I'm talking to when he actually dropped the A bomb. Oh Japan. no,
5: well it's less than that. <laughs> right,
4: okay. Much well, much but will Biden that. follow up by dropping another F bomb three days later just to prove that he meant it the first time? Maybe. <laughs>
5: You can't underestimate the significance of this, though, Andy. This has been the first major promise that the Obama administration has kind of kept. And (laughs) it's, it's going to affect the lives of millions of Americans. It's definitely a step in the right direction towards the kind of health care people deserve, even if the destination is still depressingly far away. It has been hard to justify how the richest nation on the planet can have so many of its citizens without health insurance. It's hard to justify in the same way that it's hard to
4: hold your breath underwater for 15 days.
5: <laughs> it's hard because it can't be done. It's absolutely
4: genetically impossible. So the Republicans clearly uh, strongly opposed the bill, claiming it yep. was... Uh... Firstly, too expensive. Secondly, that they just hate the poor. No. Uh, and uh, attorneys general from 13 states have begun legal proceedings to stop the government's um, extending the health insurance to... 32 million povs and plebs, I believe is the term they use. (laughs) That's the official term. On the grounds that it's unconstitutional to deprive wealthy Americans of the satisfaction of watching the suffering of those less well-off than themselves.
5: What's the point of being rich?
4: What's the point of being rich? The way I see it, the poor contribute a tiny fraction to the GDP of America. Why bother keeping them unnaturally alive? (laughs) Yeah.
5: Obama apparently also received a death threat over Twitter, except... I mean, that's not really a genuine story, is it? Or a genuine death threat? (laughs) Death threats should be issued anonymously with cut-out letters from newspapers, not publicly by someone who's just a bit bored. (laughs) The the truth is, someone wrote something stupid on Twitter, everyone read it, and now the guy's under investigation. It's like when a child says, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. Sometimes the best thing to do is just call their bluff, open the door and say, OK, out you go then, before they then scuttle back into the living room. And with this crackpot, you almost want to say, all right, here's a gun, there's the Oval Office, knock yourself out, and just watch him say, 'I'll oh, forget it, you're so annoying. If you need me, I'll be in jail. It almost makes you want to do that. Not quite,
4: almost. Just remind me never to let you babysit my kids,
5: John. <laughs> <laughs> and not to be left out, Minority Rip Eric Cantor released a statement uh, a couple of days ago saying, just recently, I've been directly threatened a bullet was shot through the window of my campaign office in Richmond this week, which seems strange. You know, who would care enough about Eric Cantor either way to want him dead? And he didn't provide any more details, and you could see why when more details started emerging. <laughs> the police pointed out the office below his was struck by a bullet at 1am with absolutely no-one in the building. And it also showed that the bullet was fired into the air and struck the window in a downward direction, <laughs> landing on the floor about a foot from the window. It was struck with enough force to break the window pane, but did not penetrate the window blinds. Wow! <laughs> He's right, Andy, that was a near-death experience. He's a hero, albeit a hero who wasn't present, did nothing, and was under zero risk. He is technically closer to death now than he was before that happened, but only due to the unremitting march of time.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it starts from these things, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, first John F. Kennedy steps on a twig. (laughs) You know, a few years later, the rest
5: is history. Exactly. And Minority Leader Boehner, again, has responded to this, saying, I know many Americans are angry over this healthcare bill and that Washington Democrats just aren't listening, but as I've said, violence and threats are unacceptable. That's not the American way. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Try telling that to anyone wearing a red coat in Boston in the late 1700s, because it sure as shit felt like it was the American way then as a crowd surged towards you with a barrel of tar and a bag of feathers. No, I'm not over it! (laughs) You're bringing him down from the inside, John. I I was actually down in D.C. the day after uh, the vote took place, and I've got to say it was a huge disappointment.
4: Where were the tanks with Obama's face plastered down the side? Where were the communist flags? I think the thing with Biden though is we have to just be clear what he was, exactly what he was talking about when he said this is this is a large fing deal. Mm. Was it large or big? Because I mean that could make all big, the difference. Big, big, big I, f- quoted as large deal over here. I don't know if they've just moderated that for the British audience. I think they've tried to change the wrong word for politeness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Big old deal. It's a big old deal. But I think we've got to ask, what was he actually talking about? Because was it really the healthcare bill? Because surely, being a politician, he'd have phrased it not, this is a big f-ing deal, but this is an historic moment for the people of our country yeah. and a defining yeah. moment in your presidency. No, to me, John, the language, this is a large f-ing deal, suggests he was talking about something else. Maybe something personal that's affected his ability to do his job as vice president. Maybe yeah. Obama's picked up on the success of uh, Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel's naked lobbying, as discussed in uh, Bugle 107, and asked Biden to go tackle out whenever they're talking about stuff in the Oval Office, and maybe Biden feels compromised, and Obama says, no, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. The words are the same, whether you've got your underpants on or not, but Biden insists this, this is a large f***ing deal. And if you really turn up the volume on the microphones, you can then hear Obama whisper back to him, what have you got to be ashamed of, Joe? <laughs> or is it uh, is it that Biden has become obsessed with fantasy baseball and is trying to persuade Obama to, uh, to trade <laughs> his two star pitchers for Albert Pujols? Or was he that mis- would be a big deal? Was he misheard, John? Was what he actually said was this is assuming it was a large f- deal. This is a large f- deal, mm-hmm. referring to a proposal. A proposal um, with the British government um, to instigate a cultural exchange programme between our two great nations, and under the first swap, America gets fat 1980s British comedian Eddie Large, and we get in return ace American horror novelist Stephen King. Straight swap. (laughs) So, what's the way ahead for the Republicans now?
5: Well, they've said they're going to withhold all Republican cooperation from Democrats in the Senate in retribution for them using reconciliation, and that is very childish. I'm not playing anymore, I'm taking my ball home. Also, they may try to delay the bill and get it sent back to the House by attaching a ridiculous number of amendments to it. And all they'll need is for one amendment to get voted on by Democrats, and the whole thing goes back, which... Which means that you get proposed amendments like Amendment 3556 from Republican Tom Coburn, which is solely designed to be difficult for Democrats to say no to. It is, and I promise you this is true, an amendment proposing outlawing Viagra to paedophiles. Is that wrong, John?
4: Are you saying paedophiles should get Viagra?
5: (laughs) Exactly! Exactly! It's it's a perfect, perfect trap they've set. The exact wording is uh, amendment to reduce the cost of providing federally funded prescription drugs by eliminating fraudulent payments and prohibiting coverage of Viagra for child molesters and rapists and for drugs intended to induce abortion. Stay classy, Coburn. Stay classy. No Viagra for paedophiles. I've got to say, Andy, I'm not sure you can get lower as a politician than that. I think he just bottomed out. Might not be such a bad idea. I guess it makes them easier to spot. He he also uh, he also proposed that there uh, should be an official one-in-one-out policy for hiring government bureaucrats, saying uh, an amendment to require that each new bureaucrat added to any department or agency of the federal government for the purpose of implementing the provisions of the uh, Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act be offset by reduction of one existing bureaucrat at such department or agency. What? Hold on, Coburn. This is the legislature, not an overcapacity nightclub. What <laughs> the? F- are you doing? DJ, now I feel the beat DJ, so I can
6: move my feet DJ, I can dance to your feet DJ, and I can feel the heat Now it's time to get away Let's dance and celebrate
7: So I want you to sing with me Listen to
8: my melody Another night of the
3: So, Rick, this is one of those very rare political moments that you can actually celebrate.
9: And I do celebrate it. It's sort of turned everything around. It's, uh, it's changed the public image of Barack Obama, of Nancy Pelosi, of Harry Reid, of the Democratic Party. All of a sudden, they're winners. And it just changes the color of everything they've been doing. It's kind of like the scene in The Wizard of Oz where it goes from black and white to color. It's an amazing turnaround, but one that one that's very typical of Obama. You know, he he lopes along uh, steadily and surely, and then when the finish line comes within sight, he breaks for it. <laughs>
3: But we've been talking for months on this program about how the political system is broken, and I I assume you still believe that. And, you know, McCain is out there. He announced after the vote there will be no cooperation for the rest of the year. Just yesterday, he was being extremely skeptical about the cuts that we're likely to get in Medicare, described that effort as lipstick on a pig. It's not as though Obama's troubles are going to go away or that the recalcitrant Congress is going to suddenly—Republicans are going to suddenly— you know snap into gear here
9: no the system's still broken Uh, not that it was ever in terribly good repair uh, but it's in much worse repair now and i guess we're going to have a kind of a tantrum now for a while from the republicans this is probably a good thing in the long run because it's going to alert people to the systemic problems here this is a system that really kind of requires everybody to give it some slack for it to work, if you have what the Brits call a "work to rule," where you take advantage of every uh, weakness and every uh, every cranny in the system to bring it to a halt, you can bring it to a halt.
3: Ryan, do you agree with Rick?
10: Yeah. Look, look. It took the Democrats have these 60% majorities. They have gone two midterms and one presidential election, and after over a year of debate, the best that they could get to address the healthcare system was the plan that the Heritage Foundation and moderate Republicans came up with in the early 90s. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think this tells us that the system is, you know, working the way it should be.
9: It does show us that we've got a fairly extraordinary set of leaders in place to get this bill passed. We've got very good people in the driver's seat, but the brakes still don't work, and neither does the accelerator. John?
11: seems to me this is a sort of an ideal victory for Obama, because he gets all the political kudos now, which he's deserved, given his performance over the last month. The big problem with healthcare care reform is whether it's actually going to work, and I have some doubts about that, whether the costs are going to be a lot higher than, than anticipated. I think they probably are. But if you look at how it's going to play out, we're not going to know the answer to those questions for sort of five, ten years, by which time Obama won't be any, in, in the White House any longer. For the next few years or so, Obama will be able to enjoy this great halo effect as the president who introduced comprehensive health care reform before we even know whether it worked.
3: Earlier in the week, David Leonhardt argued in The Times that health care reform is the government's biggest attack on income inequality, basically in over 30 years, which makes it sound like a much more sweeping reform, despite the, all the concessions they had to make along the way. Do you agree with that? Uh, it hasn't been cast in those terms for obvious political reasons, but does that sound right?
11: If you actually go in and look at the numbers, uh, I did a bit of investigating myself this week. A family of four who earn about $45,000 a year, which is just below the median income, could end up effectively getting a subsidy from the government of about $10,000, $11,000, which is enormous. It's bigger than the earned income tax credit. It's much more progressive than Social Security. It is a sort of uh, unique and unprecedented attack on inequality. It's not, a, it's not a tax break, it's not a straight check, and the money eventually goes to corporations in the form of health insurers. So, I mean, that's the way I've described this, as a sort of combination of uh, socialism and corporate welfare. The socialism is the intent to provide health care to people who can't otherwise afford it, but the means that has been adopted to do this is basically corporate welfare, as Ryan said, something that Republicans and even right-wing institutes like the Heritage Foundation promoted in a decade or so ago, and that's basically expanding the existing system of private insurance and just getting the taxpayers to to pay the bill for people who can't afford it.
3: We set ourselves free.
0: You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support.
3: We set free and I will be
12: this morning, I spoke at an event at the Clinton School of Public Service here in Little Rock. And before I took the stage, before I was even being introduced, Skip Rutherford, the dean of the school, said to the crowd that what had happened on Capitol Hill last night was an historic vote. What followed, to everybody's surprise, was the entire room. At 9 a.m. on a Monday morning, roughly a thousand people in Arkansas leaping to their feet and giving a thunderous, hollering, cheering, sustained standing ovation that went on and on and on. Not for any person, it was definitely not for me. It, it was for health reform passing the House. A thousand people, all ages, all ethnicities, a very diverse group. And I thought, Does your senator know you feel this way? After decades of trying and failing, President Obama and Democrats achieved last night was what has eluded a great many who have come before them. There is still work to be done, of course. The Senate still has to pass the, pass the fixes to the bill that the House passed last night. That bill that passed last night arrived at the White House just a few hours ago. The president intends to sign that bill tomorrow during a late morning signing ceremony at the Department of the Interior. That bill will then become law even as it awaits a package of fixes to the bill, a package that has also already passed the House and is expected to pass the Senate by next week. Last week, we speculated about when this bill's key elements would go into effect. Now we have the actual bill. We have the actual language. Now we know. The minute that President Obama signs that bill tomorrow, you can start the clock on a whole list of benefits that come with it. You can start the clock. The minute President Obama signs health reform into law tomorrow, small businesses will begin to get relief from what has been an unpredictable and yet ever-increasing financial burden of providing coverage to their employees. Small businesses can start applying for tax credits to buy health insurance for their employees. Are you a senior citizen? Well, the minute President Obama signs that bill tomorrow, you will start getting help paying for your prescription drugs. That dreaded donut hole that forces way too many seniors to pay way too high out-of-pocket costs for their prescriptions, that dreaded donut hole will finally begin to close. For seniors who already hit the donut hole in their drug coverage in 2010, $250 rebate checks will be on the way to you. The minute President Obama signs that bill tomorrow, Americans who have been deemed uninsurable because of pre-existing conditions, they will finally start getting a path toward health coverage. High-risk pools will be set up for them to purchase the insurance they could never get before. As of June 21st, 90 days after the bill is signed, those high-risk pools will be up and running. The next date to mark down in your calendar, 90 days after that, is September 23rd. As of September 23rd, it will no longer be legal in this country for insurance companies to deny kids coverage because of a pre-existing condition. As of September 23rd, insurance companies will be prohibited from dropping you when you get sick. No more rescisions. As of September 23rd, insurance companies can no longer impose lifetime limits on your benefits. And if you have children, they can stay on your insurance until the age of 26. All of that will happen in just six months. But wait, there's more. As of the next calendar year, as of this forthcoming January 1st, insurance companies will be required to spend 80 to 85 percent of what they take in from you in premiums on actual medical care. And if they don't, they will owe you the difference in the form of a rebate. That same day, Medicare patients will start receiving free preventive care services, no co payments, free preventive care. Then, after all that, in 2014, it will no longer be legal for insurance companies in this country to deny anyone coverage based on pre-existing conditions. Those who don't have coverage can buy some in the health insurance exchanges that will be fully operational. With lifetime limits on benefits already a thing of the past, in 2014, insurance companies will not be able to impose annual limits on your benefits either. All of those things that I just mentioned, everything there, that whole list, Republicans now say they want to repeal. That's what they're saying they want to run on now. They want to run on a total repeal of that list of things I just described. The gavel had barely dropped on the House vote last night, and Republican members of Congress were already rushing outside to announce their repeal intentions.
6: Starting tomorrow,
0: we're bringing the repeal of this legislation and getting it filed,
6: and we start a discharge petition, and every Republican will sign it, and some of the Democrats will, and those that don't, you'll know who you need to be looking at in November.
12: That was Republican Congressman Steve King of Iowa. He was joined last night by fellow repealer, Republican Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. We're going to
3: get every Republican to sign it, and anybody. If we get 218 signatures, Nancy Pelosi is forced to bring the repeal bill to the floor for a vote.
12: True to her word today, Michelle Bachman introduced this, uh, a one-page bill calling for the total repeal of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, a bill to reinstate the denial of health insurance for people with pre-existing conditions. A bill to reinstate insurance companies' right to drop you when you get sick, even though you've been paying your premiums. A bill to reinstate the Medicare donut hole. Seniors start cutting those pills in half again. Republicans think you're not paying enough for your drugs. And hey, you 22-year-old on your parents' insurance because of these reforms? Republicans are campaigning to get you kicked off that insurance. This isn't just the Michelle Bachman and Steve King wing of the Republican Party. Uh, Republicans right now, having just lost this major fight, have taken it on as a mainstream campaign point to try to repeal these insurance reforms I just described. Republican Senator Jim DeMint saying, quote, this bill is unconstitutional and it cannot be fixed. It must be repealed. 2012 Republican presidential hopeful and supposedly mainstream Republican Mitt Romney saying, quote, the act should be repealed. That campaign begins today. The Republican Party's most recent presidential standard bearer, John McCain, said this.
7: The American people are very angry, and they don't like it, and they're going to, and we're going
12: to try to repeal this. Senator McCain followed up that pledge with an email to his supporters that said, quote, I believe we must repeal this bill immediately. If you agree, please open up your wallets. Uh, Right next to Mr. McCain's ostensibly principled pledge to repeal health reform is a big green contribute button. He says, quote, I'm working to repeal the bill. Your immediate donation of $25 or more will enable me to continue fighting. Are Republicans really going to repeal health reform? It appears they would love to. Nobody actually thinks they'll be able to. But will they be able to raise money off the idea of it at least? Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, they can.
8: Our top item today, after last night's historic health care vote, Media Matters takes a look back at what right-wing media figures were forecasting a post-health care reform America would look like.
0: This is the end of prosperity in America forever if this bill passes. This is the end of America as you know it. It
1: is a government takeover of health care and granny is going to die. Granny always dies at some
2: point, we all do. It's going to be hastened under this bill, and it is a government takeover. I mean, right. if this, I, I, the way you understand it right now, can people be going to jail for not owning health insurance?
8: But these dire predictions haven't stopped since the bill's passage. Media Matters noted several conservative outlets comparing the legislation to the Black Plague, the attack on Pearl Harbor, Bloody Sunday, the Jonestown Massacre, and the day the music died.
5: 15 on a Sunday morning, a special edition of America's Newsroom. It certainly is a historic day. Right, we are
8: back on a very uh, historic day as we're watching all this unfold. The discussions. There's protesters everywhere. Lots of excitement um, on this big historic day. So you're gonna- every week, historic or otherwise, the Pew Research Center's Project for Excellence in Journalism surveys news coverage across the media. Last week, the health care bill was far and away the leading story, and yet, despite the news media's devotion to the topic. A CBS News poll found that more than half of Americans say they still don't understand how health care reform will affect them. Mark Jerkowitz is the associate director of the Project for Excellence in Journalism. He says that while newspapers and networks devoted about a third of their space to the issue and websites about 20%, it was cable and radio talk shows that owned the story. In fact, they devoted a staggering 80% of their news hole to health care. From day
13: one, this story has very much been a talk show story. The cable and radio talk shows have devoted the most time to it. And that's different, for example, than the economy, which was actually a story that we found was covered more in, like, network TV and newspapers. Did the
8: venue determine, to some degree, the nature of the coverage?
13: To some degree, that's true. Any story that generates this much attention in cable and radio talk shows, which are highly ideological, you're going to get competing and argumentative versions of the truth. Our sister organization, the Research Center for the People and the Press, asked a series of questions throughout last year about whether or not the healthcare debate was easy to understand or hard to understand. When they first asked the question in July, I believe about 63% of the people said it was hard to understand. When they asked it in December, 69% of people said.
8: It's interesting. It's not the first time there seems to have been an inverse relationship between certain kinds of media consumption and understanding of an issue. There was a poll, I think, after the first Gulf War that asked people about the context of the war, the nations involved, and so forth. And it turned out that the more people watched cable news, the less informed they were. In fact, the only area in which they seem to know more than those who didn't get their primary information from cable news was that they could identify the Patriot missile.
13: <laughs> Certainly, those cable news shows at night, they're siblings of talk radio. Depending on who the host is, you're either getting a liberal or conservative argument that you may or may not believe. On many of those shows, the traditional journalistic idea of let's get to the truth or the nearest version of the truth we can find is supplanted by the idea of, hey, if Guy A is going to argue this, we'll bring on Guy B. Be to argue the polar opposite. And, you know, basically leaves people sort of making decisions through the prism of their own ideology often. And let's say this about the healthcare debate, in all fairness. This is a very complicated issue. This was a very complicated legislative process. You had partisans and politicians on both sides of the issue who were characterizing it in a self serving way that also left people wondering what the real version of the facts were. So you got a perfect storm of confusion in some ways in this story.
8: And a place where the media, I assume, are supposed to step in and help clarify. You know, I was watching CNN the night of the vote, and they kept referring to how uh, the bill was going to go to the Senate for some fixes. They never said what they were, not once. They had so much time to fill. All Wolf Blitzer did was stare at the clock and say, now we've got 200 votes and 216 is the magic number. Three times he did that. Somebody could have mentioned some of the leading fixes. I had to wait for a chart in the New York Times.
13: Look, the Fox News channel, with a decidedly ideological look in primetime, has been the success story in terms of audience and ratings on cable news. MSNBC, which for years floundered in primetime, would probably say that they've achieved a good deal of success, making themselves the ideological polar opposite of the Fox News channel in primetime, and they're happy with that. CNN, in some respects, the one cable network now that is not overtly ideological in terms of the orientation of its primetime hosts, has in some ways been struggling the most. So it may well be that they've decided, hey, the people who are going to follow us now are essentially pretty hardcore political junkies, and they really do want opinionated political coverage. That may, in fact, be the working theorem, and it may be correct.
8: Mark, thank you so much. Brooke, you're welcome. Mark Dirkowitz is the Associate Director of the Pew Research Center's Project for Excellence in Journalism. Political journalists covering the health care reform process suffered a malady that often afflicts members of their breed, horse race fever. They spent most of their time guessing whether the bill would pass or fail, and mostly they guessed wrong. When Democratic Congressman Alan Grayson went on Chris Matthews' MSNBC show Hardball in January and told him that Senate Democrats planned to pass the bill using the reconciliation process, Matthews... Scuffed.
9: Do you want to bet 30 days or less we will have a health care bill passed through the process of reconciliation? I believe so. You so, predicted? Because America needs it. You predicted? I, I think it's the most <laughs> likely option at this point. I will
8: make a side bet. It's not going to happen anyway. It happened, though it took two months, not the 30 days Grayson had predicted.
7: Right before the big healthcare vote in Congress, right-wing media figures were finding new ways to mislead viewers. On March 16th, this is how Fox News Channel's Bill O'Reilly led his broadcast. What I'm about to tell you is simply stunning. A new survey published by the New England Journal of Medicine, a prestigious
1: magazine, says that nearly half of primary care doctors in America could leave the medical profession if Obamacare is passed.
7: O'Reilly went on to explain that 72% of doctors oppose the public option, and he reiterated that, quote, if half the nation's doctors are considering getting out, that's by far the most frightening offshoot of health care reform, close quote. This would be even more frightening... If it were true, but there was no such survey published by the New England Journal of Medicine. What O'Reilly was talking about, thanks to some right-wing blogs, was research done by a private physician's search firm that appeared on a career services advertising website owned by the same company as the New England Journal of Medicine. So there was no scientific survey of doctors and no publication of said study in a prestigious medical journal. Did Bill O'Reilly ever explain the error to his viewers, though? you know the answer to that one
6: like ice, like fire. That me away. Much more dignity i am losing my balance on the tight rope please
10: Is your first quote This is a big bleeping deal That was Vice President Joe Biden (laughs) Who did not by the way say bleeping (laughs) He was eloquently describing what big bill Uh, The passage of the health care bill Exactly right In all the joy Yep In all the joy and excitement at the White House about having passed this huge legislative deal, someone forgot to lock the Joe Biden enclosure. (laughs) So he escaped, and his motto, delivered to the president, too near a live mic, is now enshrined in history. As many observed this week, uh, FDR became known for the New Deal. (laughs) Truman, the Square Deal. And the Obama administration will be known... For the big bleeping deal. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's really—it's kind of time, I think, to decriminalize that word. (laughs) But that's the fun of it. Well, I know. I mean, everybody uses it. My four-year-old uses it. (laughs) Right.
0: I know, I got in big trouble for that. And you know, Tom, we we have decriminalized that word in California, and everybody's been using it, and I think we're all healthier, and I don't have glaucoma anymore. Yeah, I was about to say.
10: I use that word You need a a prescription, though. Yes, you do. You do do need a prescription, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to relieve pressure. Um, it was funny, though, to see the Democrats. They looked, they looked so disoriented and, and lost. They'd never won anything Sing before. before. Yeah. <laughs> they, they all looked like dogs who had finally caught the car. <laughs> and Obama, as you know, I mean, he managed to get this done against pretty steep odds. Nobody thought he could do yeah. it. He's feeling a little cocky, maybe not to a good end. This week, for example, he invited some terrorists to the Rose Garden just to pal around. He put up a framed copy of his Kenyan birth certificate. Like, yeah. And in a gesture of bipartisanship, he invited congressional Republicans over to watch Michelle's Kill Whitey video. Let's, for our next quote, let's go to the floor of the House of Representatives. This was late Sunday night. Hell no, you can't. That was a leader of a group of people who were rather unhappy this week. Who? Uh, the Republicans. Yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> That's right. That was John Boehner, of course, the minority leader in the House. He, of course, is mainly mad because one of the health care law provisions that goes into effect this summer is the 10% tax on tanning salons. <laughs> he was furious. <laughs> he was on the floor. He was, he was light orange with rain. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this: the the Republicans now say they're going to repeal this, repeal and replace, repeal. Do you think they're going to actually pull that off?
14: I think they are overestimating the attention span of the American public.
10: (laughs) Really? We're we back doing? to the final right. season of Law. Right. Hell it. Yeah. We're
14: talking, what, six months? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean,
10: yeah. I think the American public learned more about civics and government in the last month than they ever cared to know. And I think that actually, you know, tyranny is looking pretty good for, <laughs> from here. I mean, the Republicans do look to me like they're a little bit in denial. In fact, you have to wonder if they're going to go through their own version of, you know, Kubler-Ross's famous stages of grief. <laughs> they're, they're, they've gone from denial into anger and then into more anger, and then vivid anger, and then really, really angry anger. We're kind of hoping they'll get to depression soon, when they just lie around the house chamber watching TV in their sweatpants. Right. And instead, of, instead of voting yay or nay, yay. they'll vote meh.
6: Everybody's-
14: In lobbying for the health care bill, Barack Obama liked to say, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But what he really meant was don't let the perfect be the enemy of the mediocre, because the health care reform bill that just passed is not nearly as good as it should have been. There's no public option. There's no federal rate commission on insurance industry pay hikes. There's no removal of the antitrust exemption for health insurers. And most of the benefits won't kick in until 2014, which will give the Republicans an opportunity to roll back health care reform even before most people had a chance to enjoy its full fruits. For instance, insurance companies can still discriminate against adults with pre existing conditions until the year 2014. So if you're sick now and you're over 21, you're going to have to try to hang on for three years and three quarters. I don't call that compassion or reform. Another example, the bill will expand Medicaid coverage to single poor adults for the first time, a really good thing, but that won't happen until 2014 either. So if you're single and poor, you got to hang on too. Yes, Barack Obama does deserve some credit He finally woke up to the fact that bipartisanship is a myth And yes, he pushed hard for this bill at the end But he should have woke up earlier And he should have pushed harder for a better bill Not a perfect one, but not a mediocre one either
12: Tonight with what is live ongoing drama right now in the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. As you just heard, just moments ago, literally moments ago, the House passed the final vote on health reform. The House has just agreed to the Senate amendments to the health reform bill, drawing to a close what has been a very long process in Congress. The bill now moves on to President Obama, who can sign it as early as tomorrow. This final vote officially marks the end of the health reform battle in this Congress and it unofficially marks the end of the first legislative chapter of the Barack Obama presidency. Chapter one of the Obama presidency was broadly speaking in tabloid terms the Obama agenda including the monumental agenda item of health reform versus on the other side the party of no.
9: I will guarantee you that we are committed to to making sure that not one Republican will vote for this bill.
4: Do the American people want to hear us say no. No is a wonderful word. Hey, Mr. Kyle. Mr. Kyle, no. Mr. Bunning. Mr. Bunning, no. Mr. Crapo. Mr. Crapo, no. Mr. Roberts. Mr. Roberts, no. Mr. Ensign. Mr. Ensign, no.
12: The no, 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 hell no Republican strategy put Democrats in the position of having to do everything in, in pursuit of this monumental historic reform to do everything themselves. It therefore put a spotlight on all of the differences among the Democrats, because Democrats had to get beyond everything that divided them in order to get stuff passed. And in that process, the Republicans, the no, 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 hell no Republicans, became sort of uninteresting. They were just one big no. They were predictable. Their unified no strategy was a big gamble, and it is a gamble that they tonight have ultimately lost. The strategy did not work. Democrats were able to overcome the things that divided them. Health reform has passed as of finally tonight, just moments ago. The Republicans got nothing. Actually, they did get one thing. Uh, They got a very angry, and at times it seems, dangerously angry rump activist base that is now doing things from which Republicans are furiously having to try to distance themselves. That's what Republicans got from their just say no gamble. What Democrats got was not only this landmark generational legislative accomplishment, but as you saw today in Iowa, they got the opportunity to take a celebratory victory lap.
2: Today, health insurance reform is the law of the land all across America.
12: Yes, we did. Yes, we did. did. One of the things that could have happened here, and this is what Republicans who were playing pundits said would happen, one of the things that could have happened is that as soon as health reform passed, Democrats could have wanted to pretend it never happened. They could have been so embarrassed about it or so politically nudgy about it that they'd want to move on right away and start talking about other things. That's what Republicans predicted. That is not at all the way it is working out. Health reform is turning out to be a big win legislatively for Democrats, and it is something they are going to keep talking about, and they're going to be running on, because they are happy about what they can say this policy does. Now that we passed it, they're already promising
2: to repeal it. They're actually going to run on a platform of repeal in November. You've been hearing that. And my attitude is, go for it. If they want to have that fight, we can have it. Because I don't believe that the American people are going to put the insurance industry back in the driver's seat. We've already been there. We're, we're not going back. This
12: country's moving forward. Democrats, it turns out, are thrilled to run on what's actually in this legislation. It may have been a hard fight this past year, but it's not just fighting that matters. It's not just kinetic activity. It's the outcome of the fight. And the outcome of this fight is that Democrats and the Democratic president are taking a victory lap right now. Ancient political science axiom here. The one sure way to build your political strength is by winning. That's what's happened on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, look what's going on over there right now. In the Senate, there was this last battle over the last package of fixes to the health reform bill. Last night, the Senate was in session past 2 a.m., dealing with Republican amendments that were never going to pass. They were just there to try to trip up Democrats to somehow maybe slow down the bill further. That amendments battle, again, went past 2 a.m., and then it continued today. Republicans, if they wanted to, if they had been motivated enough, could have kept this going all day long. There's no limit on the number of amendments you can put in on a bill like this. They could have. Kept the Senate in session around the clock for days, for weeks, for months, who knows, they they could have done that. But it appears they lost their motivation. Republican Senator Jim DeMint saying today, quote, we've decided that offering 200 or 300 amendments doesn't make sense. I had 50 amendments, I still have them in my back pocket, but I'll probably only offer two or three. Where's that old Waterloo fight, Jim DeMint? This much-vaunted, dug-in Republican opposition in the Senate fell apart today. The fixes bill passed the Senate after Republicans relented. They just stopped offering amendments, even though they could have kept going indefinitely. And for all the fight, 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 this is the next revolution rhetoric from the Republican Party, Republicans folded in the House, too. What just happened moments ago on the House floor put an official end to the health reform fight in Congress. Once upon a time, like, say 72 hours ago, the prospect of this package of fixes, this bill, having to go back to the House, that was gonna be some sort of legislative doomsday. House Republicans were so diametrically opposed to this thing, they were so energized to kill it, they could have held it up today in the rules committee, they could have thrown other procedural roadblocks up there. They, they, they kept talking about how much this bill is the end of the world, how they'd do anything to stop it. And then in the end, Nothing. Turns out this thing passed pretty easily tonight. We were ready to be here all night again. It's already done. Republicans seem to have lost their will to fight. They are rolling over now. And so maybe this is chapter two of the legislative history of the Obama presidency. Chapter one was the whole party of no thing. However, you thought that was going at the time. Now we know how it worked out. Democrats won, and the Republicans not only lost every major legislative fight, they also seem to have lost their will at the end here. And some of their base seems to have at times um, lost their minds here. That was chapter one. That's how uh, Republicans dealing with the Obama presidency chapter one ended. What's chapter two like? So far, it looks like There's a lot less unanimity on the Republican side. Republican Senator Bob Corker of Tennessee, for example, had this to say about the Republican approach to the new next big thing in Congress, the new Wall Street rules that are being worked on in the Senate Finance Committee. He said, quote, I think we have made a very, very large mistake, and I regret that. You don't pull the game book out for health care, I'm sorry, and apply that to financial reform. Republican Senators Olympia Snow and Susan Collins also breaking with the Republican Party on a same-sex marriage amendment that was offered early this morning. Even at the straggling end of Senate Republicans' attempts to block health reform, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham broke ranks too. He and Democrat Jim Webb decided together to buck Republicans when Republicans wouldn't consent to them continuing to hold a hearing they were holding on military health systems. Instead of shutting down their hearing because Republicans wouldn't consent to it, Lindsey Graham and Jim Webb went a little civil, civil disobediency. Um, they just decided to ignore what the rest of the Republicans were doing. They just held their hearing anyway. We don't know exactly what Republican strategy is going to be from here on out. We don't know what it's going to be now that their say no to everything strategy has led them to this huge loss on health reform. Whatever chapter two is for the Republicans, it looks like it is going to be a lot more interesting than chapter one. At least it will be a lot more unpredictable.
2: many observed that after this week that schoolhouse rock classic how a bill becomes a law is due
6: for a rewrite so here it is hey kids i'm bill the bill want to hear how i might become a law yeah it's simple just follow along come on someone writes me i get a sponsor commit is where i go first once through committee, I go to the floor, and that's where they debate.
3: Sounds fun.
6: Totally. Then they vote, they vote. Oh, oh It's a vote. All in favor say aye. All aye. All opposed, no. If I pass you off to the second house of Congress, then I go to you-know-who. The president? Yep. And just like that, you're a law? Well, unless... I get tied up in a series of dilatory motions, nuisance amendments, and quorum calls. Poison pills or filibusters.
9: Poison pills? That's scary.
6: What's a filibusters? Don't worry about those. With a cloture vote, you can cut off debate, you just need a supermajority in the Senate. If you don't have 60 votes, you can shove it through with plenty of parliamentary tactics.
7: Gosh, is that fair?
6: Sure it's fair. They're all in the rules somewhere. Is it over then? Yeah. Once the bill is signed by the president and sent back to the Senate to vote on the differences in the reconciled legislation. Unless the parliamentarian rules that any of the bids to be reconciled fail the bird test.
7: Then it goes back
6: to the House for another vote, and if it passes, it's a law. It's that simple. Well, now it's a law. Now it's a law. Brooke, Bob, come over here. Oh,
8: all right.
6: Come on, step with the mic. Now it's a law. Now it's a law. It's not a bill anymore. Now it's a law. Not a bill anymore. Unless it's overturned by the Supreme Court 5 2 4.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Now, I feel like I have kind of a, a call-to-action-heavy final comment for you today, so uh, be ready for that, and maybe maybe grab a notepad in case you want to take some notes on uh, on these websites I'm giving you. Um, I'm going to try to go basically in order of importance, so, uh, so let's see how this goes. I, I mentioned once before, and will continue to mention into the future, there are a couple of big liberal conferences coming up, and, and these are things that... You know, I, I believe in myself. I think, um, I think that the vibe of the conferences really, not to get too beat poet on you, but the, the, the vibe of the conferences really uh, really jives with the, the vibe of this show in, in particular. So if you like this show, I think you're going to kind of uh, be in tune with, uh, with these conferences. So first of all, the America's Future Now conference is happening June 7th through the 9th and that's in Washington DC so details on that are at ourfuture.org and then the second one is uh, a little more than a month later in June the Netroots Nation convention this is you know a big national convention happens every year and this is kind of more directed at the online community of activists which is kind of where where we are the, this show i think qualifies as a part of the Netroots so that's happening in Las Vegas from June 22nd to the 25th. And details on that, please visit netrootsnation.org. So like I said, you know, I'm mentioning this cuz I I think it jives with what this show is and and what the listeners of this show are likely to be interested in. So I'm personally interested in going. I hope you are. You know, if if you're going, drop me a line. I I'd, I'd be happy to meet up with people. So, first of all, I want to encourage you to go if you have uh the interest or ability to help me get there i'm running a, a fundraiser on the website at best of i have a little chip in widget that shows uh, I've, I've set a goal of a thousand dollars which won't actually cover all of the costs for travel hotels tickets those sorts of things but you know that's that's more than enough to to ask to uh you know, from you guys to, to help get me there. And then just to be clear, that's a thousand dollars for both events, not each one, That's that'd be crazy. So to donate to that, if you're interested, just click through on the widget, make a donation of any amount you like, you know, every single dollar counts uh, for sure and, and is appreciated. And then it'll tally it up on the on the little meter there. Moving on now, there's a couple of things going on that you can help that don't cost any money at all. And you don't have to even leave your house. Um, Of course, it's a new month, so Podcast Alley is resetting. Um, Just kind of the story from last month is interesting. We got nearly twice as many votes last month as we've ever gotten in in any given month, and we still barely squeaked in at number nine. So, you know, it was interesting to witness of course i got I mentioned something like that. I mentioned that we were uh, you know dropped out of the top ten last month, and I got a couple of really snide emails saying, "Oh well, you know maybe that's a, a message your audience is sending to you. maybe you're uh, you know not doing so well, and your show's kind of slipping a little bit and, and that's why people are sending you that message and not voting for you." Uh, well, not exactly the case. Turns out we got more votes uh, you know by double than we've ever gotten. But it just turns out the competition over at Podcast Alley is just really stiff. So if you voted last month, I sincerely hope that you'll just get in the routine of doing it every month. And and then if you didn't vote, um, you know, it's it's really I can't even describe um, how easy it is. So I hope you'll get into that because, as I say, competition is pretty stiff. So you can either head just straight to PodcastAlley.com Or there's a link on my website, bestoftheleft.com. It'll take you right to the page you need to go to to cast your vote. You know, take 30 seconds, and then that continues to help support the show by getting new people to uh, tune in. Speaking of helping progressives win awards and topping the lists and things like that on the internet, the Young Turks are in another tough fight to to win another award. I don't even know how many awards they've been winning recently. They won the podcast awards. Uh, for the best political podcast recently, um, well, last year back in August or so. You know, that, that was at least partly um, due to you guys because I I put out the call and, and hoped that you guys would uh, vote for them as well. Now they're up for a Streamies award. For anyone who doesn't know, The Young Turks is not actually just a radio show, they're actually an online television show. And so they're up for the Streamies, which is. I'm supposing short for, like, streaming video online. So to support them, uh, the voting is open between a few days ago all the way through April 11th, and you can vote every single day, once a day. And this really is by far the easiest voting I've ever seen. You just go to vote.streamies.org, and then down, down on the page a little bit, it's on the right-hand side, uh, you just click the little eye hole for the Young Turks, click vote, you're totally done. You don't have to put in an email address, you don't have to do anything. So that's happening every day between now and April 11th when the awards are announced. So now that I've been talking about all these different ways for you to you know, get involved and be supportive of political uh, progressive causes or progressive shows in general, I want to thank a couple of people who've been uh, hugely supportive of this show in particular, uh, a couple of members Jason K who signed up on October 28th and Mary M who signed up on January 21st huge thanks to both of those members for you know signing up for their monthly membership and sticking with the show uh, all the way till now and hopefully beyond of course, the members are the reason this show exists these days, so huge thanks to them and all the members who keep the show going. I hope they're all enjoying uh, the great benefits, all the bonus content they've been getting in the Best of Left Raw feeds, uh, which is what I've come up with to reward them for, uh, for being members. So that is it for today. Please continue to spread the word about the show. That's a huge, huge help. Just if you want to tell all your friends about this podcast, spread the word about these conferences coming up. I hope lots of people show up and uh, and have a great time and feel empowered and inspired and so forth. If you want to stay in tune with this show between episodes, please uh, follow us on either Facebook or Twitter. Links to those are on the website, of course. While you're at the website, if you want details on this episode or any of the episodes, that's where we're always going to have links to all the sources and all the music used in the show. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month now, thanks entirely to the support of members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com
7: a shining sheep, the only maker that you want to meet, a dying man in a living room, The shadow bases the floor will take you out any open door, this is not my life, it's just a fond farewell to a friend.